On February 3rd, 2008, 100 million people gathered around their televisions to watch Super Bowl 42 in Glendale, Arizona. The 10-6 New York Giants made the playoffs, went on a run, and got to the big game where they faced the undefeated 18-0, at that point, three-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots, led by Tom Brady, the greatest football player who ever played. The Pats have been honestly kicking the shit out of teams all season long. I don't like swearing this early in the show, but it is what it is, baby. They averaged almost 37 points per game that year. But the New York football giants were not about to roll over to Tom Brady, his good-looking face, or that little football machine he had in Massachusetts. The Giants kick a field goal, but the Pats scored a touchdown to take a 7-3 lead into the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers halftime show. A couple commercials later, Eli Manning throws a touchdown strike to a little-known special teams specialist named David Tyree, and the Giants go up 10-7. Halfway through the fourth and final quarter, Tom Brady drives the Patriots downfield, down three points. It's a 5-minute, 12-second drive that eats away the quarter and ends with a Brady touchdown to Randy Moss straight cash, homie. Pats are up 14-10. They're 2 minutes and 40 seconds away from 19-0 sports immortality. But the Giants get the ball one last time. Eli slings an 11-yard pass to Amani Toomer. Eli then overthrows Plaxico Burris not once but twice, and on 3rd and 10, Eli throws a 9-yard pass back to Toomer. It's 4th and 1. If the Giants don't pick up 1 yard, the game is over and the Patriots are undefeated forever. Brandon Jacobs takes the handoff and falls forward for 1 yard. Next play, Eli almost fumbles. Next play after that, Eli almost throws an interception. It's third and five with one minute and 15 seconds left in the game. Eli takes the snap. The Patriots rush, collapses the pocket, and before you know it, two Patriots have their hands on Eli Manning. One grabs his collar, the other grabs the back of his jersey. The first guy kind of slaps at Eli's head. I mean, why not? It's football. Everyone on the planet knows Eli is about to be sacked. It'd be the perfect Eli Manning play. Only Eli Manning stops being Eli Manning for just a moment and slips away. He stumbles and almost falls, then runs backwards, now 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and with a sliver of space. And four Patriots bearing down on him. Eli Manning wings a 32-yard pass to a guy who has more tackles on the season than catches David Tyree. Tyree leaps in the air, gets both hands on the ball, but Patriots safety Rodney Harrison punches at it, jarring the ball loose while tackling Tyree and dragging him to the ground at the same time. Tyree is falling and about to lose the ball, so his only option is to use the strength in his one hand that's still on the ball and pin that ball, squeeze it up against his own helmet, making that helmet a de facto second hand. The helmet catch, one of the most miraculous plays in NFL history. Did Eli almost fumble again on the very next play? Yes. Did Eli almost throw another interception the play after that? Of course he did. But then Eli threw a first down to Steve Smith, followed by a touchdown to Plaxico Burris. Giants win Super Bowl champs, 18-1, first ballot theme music.
Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I am your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Big and Tall Executive Suite Desk Chair. Today's episode is sponsored by the Shaquille O'Neal Big and Tall Executive Suite Desk Chair, available only at the Office Depot. The Shaquille O'Neal Big and Tall Executive Suite Desk Chair, I'm not in it because I'm big, I'm in it because I'm tall. The helmet catch is clearly a phenomenal sports moment, but that's not what we're here to discuss. Today, we're discussing whether David Tyree's helmet catch is a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's a different bar to jump over. And speaking of first ballot Hall of Famer, if there's a podcast Hall of Fame, my guest today would be in it if I got a goddamn vote. He's the host of the podcast, High and Mighty, a co-host on the Action Boys podcast, a co-host on Raised by TV with Lauren Lapkus. He's been a regular on Doughboys and, of course, Comedy Bang Bang. He's a voice actor on Big Mouth and Craig of the Creek. Those are totally different shows. <laughs> He's also been all over your television, including Brooklyn Nine-Nine, What We Do in the Shadows, Workaholic, and Bones. Bones is a very small role, but we like to mention Bones here on the show. He's also been on the big screen in Bombshell, the Nicole Kidman, Charlize Theron, and Margot Robbie Fox News expose <laughs> film, but was somehow not cast as one of the creepy sexual assaulters. And he has a new series come out, coming out on True TV called 101 Places to Party Before You Die. It's the powerful John Gabris. John, thank you for being Whoa, on the show. Oh, Neil, thank you so much. Uh, quiet the applause, please. <laughs> um, I would say thank you for calling me a first ballot uh, Hall of Famer podcaster, but I don't know the parameters, but I feel like I'm about to learn them on the course <laughs> of this episode. So, see, that's, that's exciting right. for me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I did not realize how many credits I had. That made me feel very good. I've never thought about that many in a row. So uh, you, re you really helped me out there, Neil. You juice the, juice the goose and I'm ready to rock. Well, that's my first question here. You're, to me, your entertainment credits are absurd. It's a long, luxurious list. What's the thing you've done where you're like, God, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe I did that. Uh, do you have something that you're like, wow, that's like shocking to me? Yeah, Bombshell's up there because yeah. it was just, I'm in a scene with Charlize Theron where she Crazy. locks eyes with me and starts getting <laughs> teary-eyed. And that was maybe one of the most powerful things that's ever happened to me as a human. Uh, but uh, th that one, and then uh, Drunk History is an example of a show. Right. Like, I rarely ever got to see a show enjoy it and then get right. to be part of it and drunk right. history was one of those where i was just wow, like awesome. oh shit i'm doing this show i love and i don't like when i did brooklyn 99 which uh, another show i did love i i'm not that confident in myself as an actor but doing drunk history i'm very confident in myself of drinking and telling <laughs> stories that's i have way more experience doing that whenever i saw you on wild and out and whenever they'd have like the rap where they like everybody would like make up a rap i would always watch to see you in the background to see how you were handling it like were you dancing like what were you doing i always appreciated watching on wild and out oh thank you yeah there's another weird job that i've had like i've been on drunk history and wild and out like my my uh, and nailed it uh with uh like yeah. i've been on kids shows adult shows it's, uh, yeah. i've gotten my ass eaten in a workaholics movie but i also voice a child on Craig of the Creek. <laughs> Complicated life. Uh, anything I could do to keep myself firmly in the 10,000 air category. I, I'm, I'm, hustling. I'm out here for the f living for the five figureheads out there. <laughs> John, right out of the gate, it's time to play true or false. This is a super high octane segment. We usually save it for later in the episode when the show needs a little pick me up, but we wanted to come out of the shoot aggressive here. Are you ready to play true or false? 
Correct. Now, okay. <laughs> this is a dumb question. You're going to tell yeah. me something, and I'm going to say true or false. That's correct? right. That's exactly <laughs> okay, right. Okay, okay. Rob, Rob, play my Rob's my editor. Rob, play my true or false theme music. True or false? All right, here we go. I don't have, uh, so you know, John. I don't have true or false theme music, but the my editor will have to do something there because I've called for it. So we'll <laughs> one of theirs. We'll, we'll both find out at the same time. John, here's your question. John. You are the most Long Island, New York person on the planet. Is that true or false? And who's your competition? Shit, I got to go with true. I mean, <laughs> no one else really leans into... I'm, I'm sure on Long Island, there's a lot of people with insane right. LI right. pride, but I don't right. think they've broken through. And then anyone else who's broken through kind of leaves that in the wayside. Like Alec Baldwin is more of an Upper West Sider and also arguably <laughs> infamous at this point. So, <laughs> True or false? Uh, now, I think what makes you and your comedy so applicable to so many different types of shows, all of the TV shows I've listed, the movies, the podcasts, your voice is very pure. You have a very John Gabers thing, and you do it so well. Your, your authenticity comes screaming through the camera and the microphone. Again, as you mentioned, particularly when you're drunk and telling the story. Uh <laughs> I bet you there are people in this godforsaken industry that we both work in that say we need a John Gabris type, and that's because A, they want someone that really does what you do, and B, they definitely do not want to work with you specifically. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of a John Gabris type. I'm like, I'm pretty much the most John uh, Gabris type possible, uh, and I still don't book John Gabris type roles. You know, like- uh, I'm like, I'm available. They're like, yeah, we're looking for more someone like your type. I'm like, okay, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> John, before we get started into our moment, I got a table set. What's your favorite sport, your favorite team, and your favorite athlete of all time? Oh, shit. Okay, so for... Whew, this is tough. Sport uh, team for, for, for watching, uh, my favorite sport is football. For playing, it's rugby. Um, and I do really enjoy watching rugby as well, but I really enjoy watching football specifically. My favorite team, the New York Giants. Uh, of all the New York teams I support, uh, I think the Giants is my strongest support. I, I, football is the sport I follow the most. Even though, full disclosure, last couple of years I found myself distant, like not watching uh, football on Sundays and being happier for it, which is <laughs> something I'll unpack down the road. Maybe we'll talk about it later in the episode. Uh, oh, and then favorite athlete of all time. I don't know if this counts, and it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'm going to go with Bruce Lee. Uh, but I don't think that counts. I should have no, went with Oh, absolutely like, it counts. Okay, good, because that's – when I think athletic – feats he really does a shit ton. he's really got For a sure. lot of them sorted yeah <laughs> who's more athletic than bruce lee nobody hard to find hard a to great find. answer i love it now i'm not from new york but i live here for a few years now i do find that new york fans get strangely broken up into two groups it's usually yankees giants and then mets jets and then always the knicks no one likes the nets why is that why do they why does it get divvied up that way I do not know. And I've said in the past on uh, like and maybe this is, you know, not cool to say anymore. But growing up on Long Island, it always felt like the Italian and Irish kids were Yankees Giants and the right. Jewish kids were Jets Mets. <laughs> and I think it's like uh, and I don't know why. Uh, we had a lot of both. On, we had a lot of everybody on, on, on Long Island. So I, that was always my delineation. 
right. it feels like I rarely know Jets, Yankees fans, and Giants, Mets fans. And is right. it is it because of the rhyme? Like, is that something we're not even like thinking about? Is it because it's just easier to say Jets and Mets? Like, let's go Mets, M E T S, Jets, 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 whatever. Like, it seems like that could make sense in my book. You're absolutely right. That that's got to have something to do with it. Living in New York is a wild place for sports fandom because there's a lot of native New Yorkers. Right. But go walk past any bar on a Saturday and you'll see a yeah. hundred people in Clemson shirts <laughs> rooting for football. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Or like a hundred Georgia. You're like, oh, that's a Georgia Bulldogs bar. Like that, right. that's the power of New York City that, that I miss is like there are bars dedicated to alumni of certain colleges. Like that, like that's how there's such a huge market for human beings that a bar can be like, oh, we're in Raiders bar in New York City and everyone and it's full every Sunday. Full. And like it's just like so rad. Like I just love that cuz there's so many transplants. Yeah. And playing football uh, I played rugby in New York City when I lived there and that really demonstrated the transplants because now you're going a little further outside of what NFL team do you support because we had people uh, international dudes showed up to play rugby, like guys from Colombia, right. Germany, uh, England, Australia, New Zealand, like all these guys, people who would end up in New York for jobs. So it's like, oh, it's a, a Yale lawyer who's also our second rower. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's a Colombian MBA a guy with a business degree who is our fullback. And it's like you just and it's kind of thrilling in that way. And then shrink it down to just domestic and you get all that with the sports that I New York's a melting pot for fandoms in addition to all the other melting pots that allegedly true. is. Very yeah. true. <laughs> Two follow-ups. One, to your point, I'm thinking about all of the Jewish people I know. All of them are Mets Jets fans. So I want to corroborate that theory. I like that. Two, you you say that you love playing rugby. Did you ever play football? And and if so, why do you like rugby more than football? I I, I played high school ball, um, uh, high school football, like any 200 pound high school kid <laughs> i was forced to uh, yeah if you weigh if you weigh 185 pounds as a freshman people are going to ask you to play uh football <laughs> it's just true uh but i i enjoyed football a lot but the thing that i hated about football was i have good hands right. but i was just forced to be a lineman because i wasn't like that fast or right and Rugby sort of breaks it open a little bit. Like there are big guy positions, but the big guy positions, everyone, all fifteen dudes, all fifteen people playing union, have like some overlapping skill sets of like, right, right. You might be in a passing line. You might get to do an open field tackle, and then uh, upon further analysis, like I'm not particularly good at football, but rugby has like enough varying skill sets right. that go into right. it that I had like, like I imagine if my player creator would have like a six <laughs> in a lot of stats right. that don't help me playing football at all. But in rugby, right. it's varied enough that yes. it'd be like, Oh, this guy brings something. And then on top of it, when I start playing rugby, my freshman year of college, I'm playing with mostly people playing for the first time. Right. Ah, so yes. right. every other sport you play, if you, if you're a late bloomer like I was, everyone's already been playing baseball for 10 years together. Right. Everyone's already been playing lacrosse. So not only do they have the basic skill sets in place, they also have the friends and the gear and they have like, oh, I went to lacrosse summer camp and I but playing <laughs> rugby with all people who've never done it before. Right. All of a sudden it's like, oh, sh and I also got into great shape in uh, my freshman year of college. So I was like, 
came come in hot, ready to fucking play. And then it stuck <laughs> with me. And then there's a culture around rugby, uh, which I really enjoy. It's very you know, they consider it uh, a hooligan sport played by gentlemen, mm-hmm. like a soccer sport is a gentleman mm-hmm. sport played by hooligans. Uh, and then the thing that I I liked about it is the culture is you host the other team after you play. So if you're the home team, you got to buy drinks uh, and host uh. the other guys. And then there's a whole culture of like sort of uh, it's manhood. But like I would say Lex less toxic, at least in my experience, less toxic than other sports right, because. Right. It is also, and this is a highlight we like to say about rugby, women's rugby is the only sport of like when they divide by genders, it's the only sport where the rules don't change. Uh, interesting. The only, I guess like maybe swimming and gymnastics like don't Right, have, right, uh, right, right, right. But uh, rug, men's uh, rugby and women's rugby is the exact same rules, exact same gear, exact same everything. And that's kind of what's cool about it. Yeah. And then the sort of, you need... To fill a side on rugby union, you got to have fifteen people. So you got to have twenty-two if you need right. subs. Right. And so it opens it up for more people to have more opportunities. You know, and that always felt good. Like being a part, a small part of a big team is a little yes. easier than anything else. You should have played professionally. You should have played professional rugby. John Gaber's professional. It's finally rugby. starting Major League Rugby. If any is Major really? League, ru- if uh, yeah, we've had a f- we have a team in LA called the Guiltinis. Terrible team name. Currently suspended <laughs> due to some shady financial stuff behind the scenes. Oh, no. Who would have thought naming yourself after a canned alcoholic beverage might not be the best bet? <laughs> but if anyone who works in rugby is listening and you need a guy. To like help get people pumped about rugby like Joe Rogan used to do for the UFC. <laughs> I promise I'll do it and I'll never go crazy right wing like head measuring <laughs> shit like those guys. <laughs> well, that would be great. And I really appreciate you not going full right wing. Yeah. Uh, let's get into our moment. We're, we're deciding whether David Tyree's helmet catch belongs in the first ballot Hall of Fame. To do that, we have to discuss our Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moment. The first category, the first credential, is our analytics. People love stats. They love stats. Do any of these stats add to this moment's greatness? John, I'm going to read you a couple. Tyree had three catches for 43 yards and one touchdown, which, by the way, was not on the helmet catch, if that needs to be said. So he caught the only other touchdown up until the, the point of the helmet catch. He caught the only other touchdown before that season. Three catches, 43 yards, isn't... A major game, of course, but when you consider Tyree only had four catches for 35 yards all season long before that, I think it's important to note here. Yeah, he's a special teams guy. Uh, special teams guy. I had no idea. He's a Pro Bowl special teams guy. I didn't really realize that. Yeah, uh, he, he went to uh, Syracuse, so shout out, you know, any uh, New York college boys. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that also, in addition to that, terrible Super Bowl stat like ter- the Super Bowl stats end up being insanely good for him. Right. But he apparently I, I did a little light research, aka watched other people's YouTubes about uh about this. <laughs> and turns out he had like a terrible week at practice leading up to the Super Bowl because Plax I heard that too. Plax was hurting, so they were giving him more reps and he was dropping everything <sighs> and people were like trying to console him and make him feel better. And uh <laughs> he just stepped it up. And that's the thing. That's what's exciting about football is like this dude has like a named catch. Yes. Like he has the helmet, the catch, the helmet yes. catch yes. is him. He didn't. Pl- it's his last play ever. 
it's, it's his it's last a, catch of all of his career. He <laughs> I, he fucking probably had to sell the helmet like well two weeks later. But the industry, the the idea that like this guy who had what probably would have been just like a medium career that Giants fans would be like, oh, I remember David Tyree, good special teams guy, and maybe some real right. like inside football heads would remember. But because he did the catch, he'll be remembered forever. And when you really zoom out and be like, how much of a part of the team was he over his career it's really not a lot but it's enough to be like we'll never stop talking about the catch and and i this this is where to me the city of new york matters too because he will forever be a new york sports legend and that's you know you could be a great player for the utah jazz or some you know some small town and congratulations it's great but david tyree is a, will be a new york legend he'll never have to pay for another beer in new york city and that just is a right. different stage that, to me there's something it, it is the bigger stage. It is the, the New York is aggressive. Uh, New Yorkers are aggressive, so being like aggressively supporting Tyree is interesting. the the all, The thing about the catch that's crazy is it's a great catch. The video of it alone, you're like, wow, that's skilled. We don't even talk about what Eli's pulling off on this yes. play, I and mean, we'll get into it as we talk about it more. Right. But right. the other th- the other thing is it's really comes down to context for how cool the catch was. And it's like for sure. And that's that's what the entire show is about is t- retelling the story. But we remember that play. You remember what Tyree looks like. You remember the still. You remember the slow-mo, but you don't really remember. It's more difficult to remember the context, and that's what we're doing here is going through that and remembering how I can't believe I totally forgot about this. I, I Neil, I'm so glad we were recording. I know, I know I've postponed this recording a couple times. I'm so glad we are. I had a wedding in Cape Cod that I was the officiant of, and there are a lot of my Boston friends are diehard Pats fans, <laughs> and I'm a diehard Giants fan. So I've we've always had right. beef and drama and fun, fun drama because you know eighteen and one and all that. But I also I got this made this tie, and wore it during the <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> He's holding up a tie. I'll post a picture of this catch. when the episode comes out. Uh, but yes, all over I, it. I, I, I got a custom tie made on Etsy of the helmet catch just to troll everyone at a friend's <laughs> wedding. Yeah. Amazing. What an amazing tie. It is a it is a a, fan, a phenomenal image. And you're right. He goes from, you know, bit piece, small play. I mean, Pro Bowl special teams guy. But like how many special teams guys do right. any sports fans really remember to absolute legend off of one play? It's amazing. He, and it wasn't just that one catch. He mattered in this game. Any touchdown in the Super Bowl is big, but the final score was 17 to 14. Nobody scored in the first quarter. Nobody scored in the third. At the start of the fourth with the Giants down 7-3, Tyree caught a five-yard touchdown from Eli Manning. I think it's a big deal. He ended up having a major hand in both scores of the game. Uh, right, because the helmet catch set up the plaques touchdown that won it. That's right. right. How John, how many how many yards do you think the helmet catch was that's for? That's a great fucking question. And you know what? I have no idea because it doesn't fucking matter. But I'm going to say eight, <laughs> 24 yards. It was for 32 yards, but I was going to wow. say, in my head, it was like, you. it was 50 or 60 in my head. It was like the most amazing play because you just remember the feeling of it. But yeah, 32 yards, not like a tremendous, I mean, obviously an incredible play, but in my head, it was like Eli Manning runs back to the goal line. He throws it as yeah, hard as he can. Yeah, Tecmo Super Bowl, exactly, Hail Mary. Exactly. Yeah. 
Right. That and well, that's the thing about the context of it is like on paper, it's like, oh yeah, the uh, the third string receiver caught a thirty two yard pass in the fourth quarter, and it's like, and it was a cool catch. He caught it weird, and it's like, ha ah, yeah, that's funny. It's like, you need the context of where they are in the drive. You need the context of That's where right. New England That's is right. in their record. They're eighteen and zero at this point. Uh, That's right. Going for nineteen and zero. Eighteen and 0. and you got to know that the Pats have been like overly dominating over not just this season, but zoom out even further. That's exactly right. And then the only people who have beaten them right. has been the Giants. <laughs> and so we're in this situation again, and we're like, it's like Rocky standing up against Apollo, where you're like, Apollo on paper should rock this dude. And Rocky's like, hey, he's still standing, you know? And like, then you just like, all that context goes is lost on the image of the helmet catch or just reading the stats like the, that you were talking about the analytics, but you need the narrative. The narrative yes. is what's and which I think might be the thing that uh, doesn't let it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, well, let's see. You're you're absolutely right on these stats. Eighteen and zero. The Patriots were undefeated. They had won three Super Bowls at this point, and they went on to win three more. So it's not no. like they caught them on some downslope. The Pats that season broke the NFL single season records for points, touchdown passes, and <laughs> touchdown catches for Randy Moss and finished 18 and 1. Those are amazing stats. A hundred, in my opinion, a hundred percent add. Uh, I completely agree with you, John. Uh, conversely, over under in Vegas for wins that season for the Giants was eight. Vegas put the Giants season record at eight wins over under you going over above the giants finished 10 and six no one expected much from that team eli led the, led the league in turnovers with 20 interceptions and seven fumbles that's damn near two turnovers per game average and they still go on to win the super bowl and beat the 18 and opats was it this super bowl or the other one where it was like the giants were like <laughs> Seven and six, and then just won out the rest of the season. I feel like him. I think it because then they like season. just kept winning, and they were like, "Holy shit!" If they actually win the next two, they're gonna go. To, and then they won the wild card <laughs> game, and they just kept hammering. And then all of a sudden, it was like a different vibe. It really was yeah. like an underdog. It was either this one or the other one, but it was. I remember distinctly because I, I was be I was betting a lot at the time, and I just kept taking the Giants money line. And they just kept winning, and I'd be like, and they were underdogs in like every game, and I was like, oh shit, bet a hundred to win two twenty, I'll take it. And then I'm like, well, I've, I'll bet two twenty to win five sixty. I'll bet five sixty to win twenty one. You know, like the money just kept going up and up and up, and I was like, yeah. Our next category, our next credential is the eye test. What did you see in this moment? What did you see in this play that adds to the moment's greatness? The we keep calling it the helmet catch. Right. And I kind of touched on this before. Yes. There's a major, major quarterback play that happens <laughs> before this. Totally. And, and it's someone going against everything you know about them as a player. It's Eli Manning scrambling, not shaking off the Pats D-line, something he's not known for, <laughs> and throwing an absolute <laughs> fucking duck 30, year, 30 yards. It's so wobbly. It's It looks like it was shot out of the sky. And Ty, Tyree pins it to his helmet. And... The other visual is he's up against Rodney Harrison, who's like a legend at the time. Who's like a total, he's a total totally. fucking badass. A legend. And he almost does. He literally yes. is ripping uh, his arms down. Like the land, the way they land, it's like, it's like, it's true magic. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. 
that is my eye test submission here. That's my answer for the eye test is when he's Rodney really punches that ball, tries to knock it out. Pro bowler, legend, all-timer, Hall of Famer Rodney Harrison tries to jar this ball out. Tyree pins it to his head, and, and this is my favorite thing about the NFL. What they do better than anybody is they have co- they have like a 15,000 cameras in the stadium. They've got a view of everything, and that ball, as he pins it on his head, if you look at the slow-motion replay, as Tyree comes down, that ball is within inches. And I'm, like people say that all the time. It's legitimately the nose of that ball is like at – best two inches off the ground about you know it's about to be called a trap but he pins it on his head and he stops his head from going back and right. touching if he, the ground if he rolls back at Completely. all he's got the momentum he's yes. flying backwards if he rolls back at all that ball hits the ground and that's a roll that's incomplete that's and, exactly right and he somehow like you know we know a lot about the nfl now maybe he's got fucking pine tar all over his helmet and hands or whatever <laughs> but that shit was stuck and i was you couldn't believe he caught it you and that was one of those Wait, let's see. Wait and see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) The next credential is our ear test. What did you hear? I want to play you a couple clips. Please. So you can hear this. This is the replay of the moment. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman calling the game Super Bowl. As I've started this show, I've realized a lot of what I end up remembering is the announcer's call. It adds so much to these moments. It's like sometimes, like uh, the the what's the hockey one? Do you believe in miracles? I've never right. seen that hockey moment. I don't know anything about hockey. I know that uh, the United States beating Russia at the time was a big deal. All I really remember is, do you believe in miracles? Like that becomes the thing. So these calls to me end up mattering. And when we're deciding whether something's going to make the first belt Hall of Fame or not. As I've said before, this is a big, serious honor. People everywhere are talking about this podcast and the the Hall of Fame itself. It's not true. But so to make it in, sometimes you might need the help of a great call. Here is Joe Buck and Troy Aikman talking about the play. Here it is. Third down and five. Okay, right away. I I just want to say... Right away, this is, if you've forgotten the context, this is a late game fourth quarter drive. This is like, can the Giants upset these guys? Can the Giants, the New York Giants, from the number one media market in the world, can they beat the undefeated New England Patriots and Tom Brady, this like model good-looking dude who's like incredible and maybe the best player of all time? Can the Giants beat them? This is a last, this is like a fourth quarter drive. Third and five. They, they, the, the Giants might have to punt here. And this is how this, the call starts. Third down and five. Joe Buck, come on, guy. I mean, you can't believe it. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. I mean, Joe, I listen, I know he catches a lot of flack for this. I've heard him in interviews say, I couldn't see the play. I didn't know if he caught it. I didn't want to be wrong in the moment. And to me, that is a byproduct of this like social media world where if he gets it wrong, he's going to get roasted online. Everybody's going to clown him. I get that. But like in this moment, I really wish we had a great call. And I don't feel like we have it here. No. Could that be what ends up holding this out of the first belt hall of fame? I'm not certain. No, I don't, I don't think it's uh, disqualified because I, 
I mean, I don't know if you have it, but what's the audio after it's called a catch? Like what? Where? Because I bet you they do have it. There you go. Great question, John. Here we go. Here's Troy Aikman. So the to John's point, they they have the play in real time, and now it's time to go into the NFL's fifteen hundred different replays of this moment slow mo. So let's hear what these guys have to say in the moment. Here is Troy Aikman first. And Eli, man, I don't know how he got out of there. I thought he was on the ground, and and then he came out of the pile and just slings it. That's a great catch by David Tyree. Okay. Aikman, to me, is like a quarterback. He's appreciating this incredible quarterback play from Eli Manning to John's point earlier. It's an amazing play. He's appreciating it. And then he just kind of, to me, just kind of adds on a great catch by David Tyree. I, I still yeah. don't feel the appreciation for David No, Tyree. me neither. But you're also asking Troy Aikman to appreciate the New York Giants in that moment, too. And <laughs> that's, that's true. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to think about when you're when you analyze it that way. You're Troy Aikman going, point. hey, you got anything nice to say about the Giants coming back here hardcore? Now let's listen to what uh let's listen to what Joe Buck had to say. Here's his replay. Pressing it against his helmet as he goes to the ground. And not dropping it is David Tyree. Oh, boy. He just described the catch as pinning it to his head and not dropping it. I (laughs) I just feel like this is a big swing and a miss in a category, in a credential that oftentimes matters to the sports moment. Right. And, well, here's the thing. If they they could somehow know that – they're setting up the the like because right. that's the right. context yes. of this being like the co- play or two before yes. they win. Yes. Like they don't have that knowledge in this moment, that's so true. they're just like, Very "Whoa, true. crazy save!" But they really should have went for the end zone, you know? Like, <laughs> like, uh, but it's like you don't know what's next, baby. We don't true. know that Plax is fair. That's fair. Gonna not shoot himself this time. <laughs> <laughs> now, John, you have a new series coming out on True TV called "101 Places to Party Before You Die" with your good friend, actor and comedian Adam Pally. I know you're recently just off of the road from filming it. Tell us about the show. Um, it's a travel show hosted by two guys who aren't really experts on travel or food <laughs> or anything, but we are friends and funny and have been traveling together for uh, 15 years and uh, and partying together for that long, too. So we wanted to bring <laughs> that and see if we still had it, see if we could be 40-year-old men and get after it. And turns out, <laughs> sort of. Uh, <laughs> short answer, we can kind of handle it. No promises. Um, it's uh, pa- the- Pally, maybe is the guy who I'm thinking of when I think Jets Mets, because he's I'm a Giants Yankees, he's Jets Mets. Uh, his father-in-law, though, is Giants, uh, was, was a Giants fan, too, which was pretty cool for me, because I get wow, to have that yeah. drama. And his son is a Giants fan, so I get to have that, oh, too. Like, we get to, I get to show up to his family and talk to his son about how bad the Giants are now, <laughs> but still not as bad as the Jets. Um, so 101 Places to Party Before You Die, coming out. Thursday, July 14th is the premiere, uh, and every Thursday night after that, uh, following the Jokers. Um, as a matter of fact, on the night it premieres, July 14th, Adam and I are also on the Impractical Jokers as their guests. Amazing. In the early, so, That's great. Yeah, so check us out there, too. That's awesome. What I like about the concept of this show is that it's probably, my guess is it's been pitched about a million different times with a million different people, but the fact that yours got picked up to me is a compliment to the two of you and says something about the chemistry that you have. How in the hell did you get this show picked up? 
Uh, well, we bought the rights to a book called 101 Places to Get Fucked Up Before You Die. And uh, and we've been talking about doing travel shit together for a while. We both shot a movie together in Italy. We both shot like a, a, thing, uh, like a little segment in Vegas together. So we've done some light travel shit together. Right. And we brought it out. And so our big, I think the reason why we got it is evident whenever any one of our friends who knows both Adam and I is like, I can't fucking believe you two got to do this. And it's yes. like, that's the rep we both have is yeah. we're sort of party animals. People think we're funny. People like us. So I think like, I think that's accidentally what how these two 40-year-old generic-ass <laughs> white comedians got this travel show without any real travel knowledge or anything like Tucci's finding Italy. Zimmerman likes bizarre foods. Bourdain is a cultured chef. Guy Fieri runs a couple of restaurants. Us, on the other hand, are two freaks who are like, I like weed and alcohol. Let's figure it out. But it does just feel like it. Honestly, it feels like you're like, and I'm sure a ton of people pitch this, and I don't know why they bought yours, is exactly what me and Adam feel. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. We're, we keep, during the shooting, we kept being like, they could take this away from us today. Like, it just felt like we were so undeserving of it because it was so fun and badass that I was like stressed the whole time. I'm like, these bitches, they're going to take it away from us. They're going to catch on to us. <laughs> there is a 0% chance that show isn't super entertaining. You guys, to me, are especially your chemistry together is great. Oh, I thanks, man. The bar is so low for travel shows. They're just not in That's a... That's right. They're just so enjoyable as a show. Like, they don't have right. to be good travel shows for me to right. enjoy. I, I'm speaking from personal experience. Like, I have a low bar for travel shows. I'm just excited to see Paris, even if the host is boring. Uh, and in this case, it's like, I hope you like Richmond, Virginia, but with not boring hosts. Uh, that, we, that we can promise. And we're visibly fucked up and visibly hung over in almost every segment of the show. So <laughs> I think people will get a, an extra enjoyment layer out of that, just looking at how sunken my eyes are at, while rock climbing. It seems like a dream job to have. To that end, what are you, what are you for the rest of your career now? And I, I guess it should, shouldn't just be your career, also your life. What is your dream now going forward? Do you have a goal? It doesn't have to be business related. What do you want to do in your life before you invariably die young? It, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm. I've been set on the. I've been. My ways has been getting me off at the uh, early death exit uh, since uh, since I started on the drive. But, dude, you speak to something truthful here. I, I can't top this gig. Like I, I like it's I made. It's made for my skill set. Yes. I enjoyed myself doing it. I did it with a friend. Like it didn't activate yes. imposter syndrome. Right. The only thing, the only con to the job is it's physically difficult. I it's at as you know, as you age a little bit, traveling starts to suck and your like back right. starts to hurt. That's and then it's right. like and then partying is like kind of something you could do like once a week, maybe twice a month. And now it's like four nights in a city, you're just getting blasted, <laughs> getting drunk off camera. You know, like you're like trying to stay alive. And that's the only con, but it seems totally worth it to live. Yeah. And going forward, I have no idea what I, I guess <laughs> I guess I I want to do whatever, like, something the show taught me is that you don't even have to travel to a specific, like, a beautiful, like, right. Richmond, Virginia was yeah. a city I had a fucking blast in and had oh, some great-ass great. food, 
and I would <laughs> never have picked it to travel right, to. You know what I mean? Right. And like yes. now I've done that. So I think the freeing thing for me is maybe I don't have enough money to go to the south of France frequently as I when I get older. But if I have enough money to go, I got to go to San Diego and check out right. this waffle fry spot that yeah, I heard yeah, about. Yeah. That's I'll be chasing that experience uh, for the rest of my life. That that's, that's the lovely. show inspired that. Ideally, that's lovely. I'm shooting 93 more fucking episodes of this and getting all the way to 101, <laughs> and then I die during the finale on the operating table in in scene. <laughs> He's like, he has a DNR. My wife's like, yep, he has life insurance and a DNR. Do the, do what you got to do. Uh, I bet. My guess is this is the type of thing to have this show, to have these memories, to have them all on camera will be special as you get older, too, to look back at this window of time uh, for your family to have It's like something you that. can genuinely play at like my yes. funeral. You can show oh, like a sizzle oh reel at my God. funeral of like, look at it. Oh, Unless, of no. course, I die in like an alcohol or drugs related situation, <laughs> then I think my mom would be like, don't put that on. <laughs> uh, the next category, getting back into our moment, the next category, the next credential is our burning questions. These, The answer to these questions could make the difference between the hall or not. I think about luck on this podcast a lot. Was this a lucky play? Good luck, bad luck. Listen, the margin for a moment to make the Hall of Fame is very thin. It, was this play just lucky? I mean, the skill of these guys, Eli, Tyree, uh, everyone involved, gets you about 90% of the way there. But yep. Yep. luck comes in. Well, you know what? I, I, I'll back it off. I'll say uh, 90% is talent, 5% is luck, and 5% is whatever clutchability like whatever yes, that like whatever right. that word maybe that is like a subcategory of luck to be fair mm-hmm. uh <laughs> but the the fact that both eli and tyree had two very separate very clutch moves happen yes. on one play yep. that set up the win is like that honestly now neil i'm i'm just i've been invalidating myself with every statement i've said so far and i'm about <laughs> to do it again arguably <laughs> the fact that both of them had these great feats on the same play is luck as well. So now we're just like, who knows? I, I you know, I'm fucking, I'm backing off my original answer. Seven percent luck. What was the question? <laughs> football, football to me seems like the sport where, through sheer force of will, you can like make the play. You can like knock the guy over. You can fight through the tackle. It feels like the thing where you can like will yourself to make the play. And in this moment. If you wa- again watch the replay, if you haven't seen it, go to our Instagram at first ballot HOF. He he gets bo- Tyree gets both hands on the ball, and then Harrison really comes in and tries to cudgel that thing out, and he is forced to pin it on his helmet. I I really don't think it's I don't think it's luck when I think about it. I mean, maybe there's like some grit. good luck. Yeah, maybe it's yes. grit. I, I exactly. I think grit is a perfect word for it. I really feel like he fights to make this play. He wills himself to make this play, and so maybe there's a bit of good luck in it. But I, I don't think it's. I don't think you can be like, oh, that's bad luck for the Patriots, and that's why we lost. There, there is enough skill and enough heart and enough effort there that, to me, I don't think we can just dismiss this as a lucky play. You said that football f- feels like one of the sports that you can really make yeah. something happen. Yes. I think you're right. I think football is like. I'm going to keep going to percentages for some strange reason. It must be COVID brain. But like football is like 90% what you see. And then there's every situation. The margin of error is like it's 2%. And it's like who's hustling harder? Who's trying harder? Who's got luck on their side in this moment? It's like you can 
Don BB Leon Lett yeah. as he's running. Yes, you yes, can, yes. like you know like there's there's all these things you could do with just like a like a Herculean effort right at the end yes. and nudge something in the extra spin that gets you in the end zone, the extra guy hitting the thing that hitting the pile that stops you from getting in the end zone. There's just enough of that stuff in the game with eleven people, enough variables that a, a lot of times it can come down to like push and someone yes. wins and that's like that's so right. fucking thrilling yeah there, there's something about the field being measured out by by your success being measured out in 10 yard increments like they're constantly measuring i like every sport is a game of inches but this one in particular because it's being measured out and because you can see this guy's effort you know brandon jacobs as he's running for the first down you can see that effort visually because the ball's ahead of the thing and they're like first down and they move the chains and like the game keeps going so it's like it's something fascinating about football to watch it's uh, uh, uh an interesting game at the very least uh, the next credential is our x factor everybody knows what an x factor is is there an x factor in this moment that makes it great if i'd love to pitch you something John, please you have a moment David Tyree's mom passed away on December 15th. Seven weeks later, he's in the Super Bowl making the play of his life. Shit, man. It's hard not to think. You're talking about forget luck, forget grit. That's a fucking, uh, you know, help from beyond. I mean, if you have lost someone very close to you, let alone your mother, I mean, you're thinking about that for months, years. And he's got to go play the biggest game of his life and ends up making the biggest play of his life that he'll be remembered for for the rest of his life. I just think that's that's something else that that sort of wrinkle. I, I didn't know that until I was researching that. I'm very sad. Yeah, to man, that's past, but amazing. Yeah. His, his mother passed away. He had a bad week of practice. Like the narrative yes. really builds into like how cool it of a really moment does. this is. Yeah. yeah. All signs point all signs point to like getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really it's like if you made this into a movie, if you like dramatize this and made this into a movie, you'd uh, you'd you'd have this terrible, you know, this very sad, emotional passing of the mother. And then he'd, you know, all of this stuff, the terrible week of practice. And, and you, as an audience, you'd be like, they're laying it on a little thick here. The mom passes away. He's got a bad week of practice. And then he catches the ball and pins it on his head and almost touches the ground. Like, you'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, this is bullshit. Yeah, you, you, the development exec would give you notes on that. <laughs> They'd be like, <laughs> oh, ah, that's sure. a little unrealistic. <laughs> cut this, cut that. And why has it got to be a helmet catch? Can you just catch it normally? Because the touchdown catch is the important catch in the narrative. It's like, not this time, mother. Yes. <laughs> the, the whole the, the, that whole drive to me is an X factor. The Giants had a fourth and one; they barely got it. Eli Manning then almost fumbled. After that, the next play after that, Eli Manning was almost intercepted. Some sort of miscommunication between Manning and Tyree. Asante Samuel had two hands on the ball but couldn't pick it. And then on the next play, a third and five, Eli almost gets sacked but gets away. Then throws a duck, as John mentioned, that almost gets knocked down by a Hall of Famer, but the guy catches it because he pinned it to his helmet. That's pretty. That's a pretty incredible drive in totality. Yeah, yeah and that you know, doesn't like, even mention the the touchdown to Plax. Right. That's how like glorious of a drive it is. That the touchdown to Plax is like the mullet. It's like that's what's right. it called in golf when you just walk up and tap it the last time into the hole, like whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like the, the gimme. Like right. I, I, I feel like the the touchdown is so not important compared to all the other steps that got you there, which is the sign of a pretty wild drive. If the game winning touchdown is one of the <laughs> medium exciting plays there, the Super sure. Bowl winning touchdown right. is not the most exciting play in the drive. That puts a little fucking feather. Another it thing really to stick does. to Tyree's helmet, a little sure. feather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the next category is Twitter fingers. These are the famous tweets from our moment. Now, this, as I go back, this tweet isn't from the moment, 
but it's one that I remember and I always associate with Eli Manning. It's from our friend, but most importantly, the first guest of our of our show here, Dragonfly Jones, once tweeted about Eli Manning. Eli Manning wipes his boogers in the pages of the history books. I think that's a perfect sentence. Yeah. It, ex- it exactly describes Eli. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Eli Manning as a Giant fan? Um, he, the, he's a, like one of those good days, bad days guys where you're right. like, when he's doing well, you're excited for him. But when he's not doing well, his energy is so sad, sad and corny that like, <laughs> yeah. like you hate him for that. Right. But, uh, in the end, I have all positive. And then I will say, his off-field personality really keeps him high in my book because, like, yes. he is actually kind of funny. An I love him and Peyton guy, doing yeah. shit together. Totally. It's like yep. I, it's really funny, and it adds a little like helps helps a better memory. And then also, being a Giants fan is fun in that way, in that it's like. You can hate Eli Manning despite beating uh, the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. It's still like, nah, he still sucks. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, well, you know, that's like being a Giants fan. It's like, ah, fuck Eli. It's like the guy who won Super Bowl MVP and beat the Pats twice. You're like, nah. Yeah. But like, see how he whines when he gets an interception? You know, it's like, and I think we're about to have like a, like a, decades of uh new york giants quarterbacks that all make us retroactively like eli even more yeah. too. <laughs> sorry danny dimes but i don't think you got it kid <laughs> john john you come off very much as someone who enjoys the worldly pleasures the simple joys in life a good meal perhaps a cocktail hell yeah set the scene for me what's a perfect night for john gabris is it watching a game is it a movie what are you eating drinking smoking what's going on Ooh, it's my my perfect night is a um, forty year old uh, John Gabriel's forty year old John. It's embarrassing. It's like pretty much the same as seventeen. Uh, but it's like <laughs> uh, new movie I haven't seen or an old classic that I'm excited to revisit. Yes. I got a nice blunt or a joint, but I guess if I'm doing full dream, it's a blunt. Um, I got. Uh, either ice cold, depending on the weather, I got either an ice cold beer or like a hot tea or at least a big glass of spa water or some shit, you know, some, <laughs> some mint leaves and a big fruit and an ice cold Yeti, some shit like that that I dig. And then I'm just posted up. I'm in my underwear. The AC is blasting and I have a blanket next to me on the couch in case I need it. That's my fucking, that's my big night. Now. I think part of the reason my ideas of big nights is that is because I shot a travel show for eight weeks on the road where I was drinking and eating at restaurants. It does make watching a movie at home feel more appealing than hitting up. I live in Los Angeles, a pretty solid restaurant city, but I have no desire to go out to dinner right now. The next credential is our test of time. This is when we compare our moment against other moments like it in history. The Immaculate Reception in 1972, Franco Harris's catch. To me, that that's the that's the comparison here. Bradshaw gets away from the rush, throws the ball downfield. I don't know who was supposed to catch the ball because he gets absolutely tattooed by Jack Tatum of the Raiders. <laughs> One of my favorite football names, Jack Tatum. Tatum just CTEs the receiver. The ball is launched <laughs> backward and into the hands of Franco Harris. But that was a playoff game, and despite the Steelers winning, they would go on to lose in the conference finals before the Super Bowl. I think the other one to compare it against is Jermaine Curse's catch for the Seattle Seahawks against the same Patriots. This is the other side of the coin. 
the Jermaine curse. I don't know if you remember this 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 catch. Do you remember the do you 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 must remember the Super Bowl when they don't hand it to Marshawn and and the and they the like they get, they get like a pick on the that's right four, like third and one to lose yeah, the yeah, game yeah. to yep. yeah to oh. lose the game. The play the play that got them into the red zone is this incredible Jermaine Curse catch. The ball gets tipped, it's bobbled around, he ends up catching it before it hits the ground. It's this it's this crazy freak, amazing concentration and focus and willing himself to make this catch that gets him into the end, that gets him into the red zone. The the Seahawks are on the doorstep, but they can't score. To me, it's the exact opposite of the David Tyree catch. I I don't know if either of those plays if you think either of those two plays are are greater, are more impressive than our David Tyree catch, do either one of them keep David Tyree out of the Hall of Fame? Here's my question. Vacuum. Let's let's make the guess. Vacuum. No context for anything that happens before or after these plays. You right. just watch them cold. You right. have no idea what's going on. They're all pretty equally impressive yeah. there. Like they're all yep. pretty amazing. They're all objectively amazing plays. Right. Uh, uh, great catches by three different individuals. But I think adding the context of yep. Yep. of the Tyree one and like, is that fair that your uh, your Hall of Fame uh, nomination comes with like two pages of prose narrative to set up what's going on? <laughs> That's but true. I feel like on paper they're three great catches, but I don't think. They dispelled it. Also, three major catches are the only three we could like. That's if you're still the third best catch. That's right. Uh, like <laughs> it's like that's a pretty. And it should be said, uh, the curse catch was in a Super Bowl, but Tyree like a Super Bowl catch. Man, NFL Films rated it like the number one Super Bowl that's play right. of all time. Although that's a lot right. of people, Pat's fans disagreed, <laughs> <laughs> which made it even better. <laughs> you're you're really I mean the, the context. You're exactly right. The context, like you go curse, it happened in the Super Bowl. Franco Harris, this amazing play. It's on every NFL highlight reel of all time, but. One of them happened against the an eighteen and O team where it was their only loss of the season, and Tom Brady had to you know eat, eat crow. I mean, it's just it's just the context of this moment and this play. Just is there's almost I can't think of many sports moments where the context matches up to this one. Right, I, I, that's what I, when I was coming into this. That and I know I keep saying the context, but like when I was coming into this record, that's what I kept saying. I'm like on paper, solid play. Yeah, but the story is what oh makes this, it and really is. and if you imagine that uh, ratings for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony being a, a factor, telling the story <laughs> might get some New Yorkers to tune in. You know, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the next credential is our cosign, John. This is just for you. Should David Tyree's helmet catch make the first belt Hall of Fame, and why? The floor is yours. Yes, I. I think this should be in the like the Super Bowl itself was a David and Goliath moment. The eighteen and O Pats versus the Mighty Ducks, the struggling Giants here, <laughs> and the David Tyree helmet catch is the stone David puts in his sling. It if I'm really keeping is. that, if I'm keeping that analogy going, <laughs> it's the stone he puts in the sling, and it's like David doesn't beat Goliath if he doesn't load that bitch up before he gets out there, you know. <laughs> and this and like. Plaxico doesn't catch the touchdown that wins the game from behind if uh, David Tyree, a third string. I, I mean, even that element is that he's a special yes. teams guy. Even yes. that is like, it even adds to the narrative. And we didn't even speak to the fact that uh, he's go he's checking down to his third guy at this yes. point. Yes. In it's a full incredible. scramble. 
<laughs> yes. Sorry, Hall. Yes, Hall of Fame balloteers. I agree. Cosign, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> the next credential, the last credential is our induction speech. That's when I, Neil, have to decide whether this moment makes our first ballot Hall of Fame. I'm going to take everything John said into account, and I'll make it quick. I don't think there's much to discuss here. I think this is one of the best moments in NFL history. Let me run back through the moment for you. 18-0 undefeated Patriots. Tom Brady, super good-looking dude. You hate him. I know you hate him unless you live in New England. You hate the guy. You want him to lose. He's 18-0. He's about to become – he's he's going to go down in history. He's if they go 19-0 – and the 0, best player to ever play the sport. Exactly. And if they win this Super Bowl, the Patriots are almost certainly considered – the greatest NFL team of all time. I don't think those 72 Dolphins can probably hold a candle to these guys because it's a new era. The dudes are bigger and stronger and et cetera, et cetera. They go down as the best team of all time if the Giants and David Tyree don't come back and beat them. It's David Tyree versus Goliath. The helmet catch. Welcome to the first battle hall of fame. Yeah! Yeah! David Tyree, I hope uh, you can get uh, a shift off from the car dealership and oh come be there for this. <laughs> right? I feel like I hope I feel like a lot of ex Giants end up being uh, used car dealers for some reason. <laughs> Mark Bavaro famously owns a bunch of. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah, I think so. In upstate New York, oh, I, if he's still alive, knock on wood. Oh no! Whoops. <laughs> Football and professional wrestling. Not ideal for longevity, it turns out. John, thank you so much for doing the show. What can you plug? Obviously, people, everybody should watch the show, new show on True TV. What What is the premiere again? Uh, July 14th, Bastille Day for all us French rev heads <laughs> in, the, in the listeners. Uh, July 14th, we're on uh, Impractical Jokers at 10, and then our show premieres right after Amazing. 10.30. Amazing. And, uh, I'm super stoked about it. I, I have a ton of podcasts, but if you just follow me on social media, you'll be able to keep track of my podcasts. But if I had to plug anything outside of 101 Places, I would check out Action Boys. It's behind a paywall. It's we do so have some good. free episodes out there. It's but really good. Thank you, bud. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite projects that I'm doing. It's it's very funny. It's in my wheelhouse. And it's got me watch watching a movie every week, which, uh, you know, it feels good to tell my wife, sorry, I have to watch Gotta Stargate work. for work. <laughs> You can oh yeah you can watch go watch the shows go watch your shows but I'm gonna watch Stargate for work okay it's business time it's business. <laughs> John thanks so much for being on the show I really appreciate it Neil thank you so much sir this was a pleasure that's it that's the show my deep thanks to the legend John Gavris first ballot is produced by Jessica Sang edited by Robert Rucci music by Rhythm J follow him on social at Rhythm J and my special thanks to you all for listening I very much appreciate it. Come back next week for more First Ballot. Cosign, bitch. <laughs>